Hello and welcome to Metaphors of EdTech, a podcast by me, Martin Weller. In this podcast, I talk about metaphors of educational technology. There's an accompanying book published by Athabasca University Press, which you can check out. It's free to download or you can buy the print copy. And in each episode notes, I'll put links to interesting articles or things that are relevant. So check those out. Now, on with the episode. So in this episode, I want to think about why I wrote a book called Metaphors of EdTech, which if you don't know, is available at Athabasca University Press free of charge if you want to download it, or you can of course buy the lovely printed copy. Um, partly it came about because uh, I'm a blogger um, and I often blog in terms of metaphors when I'm thinking about educational technology. Um, and I find that a useful way to think about them and also kind of slightly playful. And I kind of think it suits the, the blogging tone, but I, start the book off with a little story uh, where I was in Florence, Italy once, uh, I'd just given a keynote on digital scholarship, which had gone quite well, I think. Uh, and I'd also been studying art history at the time. And I set off to kind of walk around the town and take in all the beautiful museums and statues and things around, uh, around Florence. And what I was really keen to see was um, the cast by Cellini of, uh, the, of Perseus holding her head the uh, head of the Medusa. It's a kind of, I don't know if, if any of you have seen it, it's a very graphic uh, statue in many ways, there's sort of blood coming out of the head um, and it's kind of very, very realistic. It's almost as if, if we were making horror films back then, this is what it would look like. It's almost like a, a John Carpenter <laughs> movie made into a statue. Um, and it's a great piece of art. Uh, but because I was, I've been given a, a presentation for digital scholarship, digital scholarship I knew quite a lot about the casting process and the, the account that Cellini gives of it as this kind of like mythical life-giving uh, moment. Um, but also the Medusa is, uh, has long been seen as a, a symbol of misogyny. And I thought you could see some kind of echoes in that of how new technology, which is what the casting process had been for him uh, in making statues, often ends up replicating a lot of those existing power structures that I've just been talking about in digital scholarship. So we have kind of new ways of communicating. We have all these new platforms, social media and so on. Um, and often they end up just replicating things like misogyny or certain power bases. And the same groups who were marginalized before end up being marginalized again. And I thought, well, that's a very obvious uh, metaphor. Why has no one else written about this? <laughs> And of course, no one haven't because it's not that obvious and probably doesn't work that well. But I thought it was quite a fun thing to do. Uh, and I kind of quite like that, just using different aspects to think through education technology. And I'll talk about this more in, in a later episode about the, the power of metaphor. Um, but I think partly one of the things I wanted to get at was education technology is, is a new field. And so often we're, we're struggling to understand what it means. And the use of metaphor is a very powerful way to understand something new. That's often how we use it. And it's often how it's used in education, in schools and so on. So in that case, metaphors are useful in education technology. Uh, but secondly, I think um, we're often sold ideas, particularly by people trying to sell you a solution in terms of a metaphor. And if you don't realize you're being sold a metaphor, then the, the solution that they propose then seems obvious to the metaphor. So if you say, you know, the the education system is broken in the same way that um, you know 
uh, an object is broken and it needs repairing or it needs sweeping away, then often the solution that that person is providing to you seems like, oh, that must be the obvious outcome. But it, it's not necessarily the case. What you're, what you're actually buying is the metaphor. So I think understanding the use of metaphors and education technology is a really useful thing to do in terms of just preparing yourself and almost defending yourself against some of this hype that goes along with things. Uh, and lastly, I think it's really useful to think about education technology in terms of metaphors, just because it's often quite dull or dry or technical or, or, or less than human, I think, in a way. I think when we talk about education technology, I talk about it in terms of databases and uh, user interfaces or roadmaps and stakeholder consultations, those kind of things. But actually, that's not how we often think about things in our real lives. And I think thinking about things in terms of metaphors allows us to, to make the, the technology more human and more relatable for ourselves and, and I think more playful as well. And I don't think those are things to, to be dismissed. So that's kind of the motivations for writing this book and then for doing this podcast as well, I think. Uh, and then in the next episode, I want to talk a bit more about the power of metaphor and where it comes from uh, and the role it plays in psychology. So I hope you join me for that. So I talked a bit about why I thought metaphors were important in EdTech. So now to talk a bit about why metaphors are important generally and kind of how they work as well. So um, I think the kind of pioneering work in metaphors was from Lackoff and Johnson, who published a book called Metaphors We Live By back in 1980. What they really did was make us think about how metaphors shape the way we think. I think up until then, there'd been a tendency to think of metaphors as poetical devices, things to be used in literature, you know, that they were kind of nice to have, but not really fundamental. And what Lackoff and Johnson really set out was how they really shape the way we think about the world, and how we interact with the world. They're kind of these primitive objects of analysis and, and structure of how we think. Um, and often remain hidden from us. And then there's sort of, you have to coax them into view and how we shape how we think and, and think about the world. And they work in a number of ways. So perhaps the, the kind of most common way we think about metaphors working is mapping from what we call a source domain to a target domain. So um, a common metaphor you might use in education, uh, although it's slightly flawed as a metaphor, but one we often use is to say something like the the structure of the atom is like the structure of the solar system. And they were taking the source domain, which is something we know about, which is the structure of the solar system, something we don't know about if you're trying to teach about it, um, the structure of the atom. And so there are a number of characteristics that you map from the source domain over to the target domain. So in this case, those things might be that there's a, there's a big thing at the center, you know, a nucleus in an atom or the sun in the solar system, and then things operate and, and circle around that that's that large center in kind of predefined orbits um, and but also i think it's it's important to know that there are some things you don't map across no metaphor is a perfect mapping of all characteristics because then it'd be exactly the same thing so you need to be wary of things you don't map across as well and just as an aside that the atoms one doesn't work very well either because the more we've got to know about atoms we realize that they were waves of probability as much as they were things orbiting but you can understand the kind of principle of how, of how metaphors work so that's why they're useful in coming to understand a subject we don't know much about which is one of the first reasons i gave for why we might want to use 
metaphors and educational technology. It's a new field. We don't know that much about it. So in some ways, coming to understand that new field, we think about something that we do know and map across those elements, those characteristics to this new field. But metaphors have what we call a, a, a generative power as well. So you can think about having those, those two domains we talked about previously, the source domain and the target domain, but maybe you don't know much about either of them or there's not a kind of direct mapping. What you have is this these two different domains and there's a, a dialogue between them. By thinking about how this one is a bit like this and where it's different, you come to understand both of them in different ways. Um, so there's this kind of interaction between them that creates a, a novel meaning. Uh, and I think one of the really interesting things about metaphors is how they help frame solutions for us. So uh, in psychology, there's been numerous versions of this experiment done, but uh, the one I came across was, um, so experimenters took two different groups of subjects and they presented to them narratives or accounts of crime. And in the first group, crime was presented as a disease in a community. Uh, and in the second group, crime was presented in the metaphor of a monster kind of attacking a community, those kind of things. And then they asked them to go away and come up with solutions or to rate different solutions for how to deal with crime. And depending on which metaphors they'd been presented with, people would rate different types of solutions. And that I think is kind of gets to the area of my second reason why we should explore metaphors was that kind of idea of defense and being aware of, of when we're being sold a particular solution. So you'll see politicians use this a lot. They'll talk in terms of metaphors, then that makes the solution they have seem much more appealing and common sense. And also you see it happening a lot in terms of you know, um, companies trying to sell you something they'll talk in terms of a particular metaphor or problem that then theirs is the solution to. Um, and so unless you're aware you're being sold the metaphor, first of all, you're not aware that then the solution seems the obvious solution to that metaphor, but only because it's been couched in those terms. So I think that kind of is a, a rough overview of how metaphors work and why they're important for us psychologically. So I think that combined with how they're important for educational technology was really the kind of foundation for, for writing the book, Metaphors of EdTech. And we see lots of metaphors for education in general. And people often think of, uh, you know, the, the traditional one that's often kind of uh, decried is the idea that you're just filling someone's head, there's basically a funnel in someone's head and you're pouring stuff into it. And we think that's not how education works. Or people see education as a process. Or there's, so there's many different ways that we have these kind of conceptual models we have of education itself. And that in turn may well frame how we think about education technology as the best way to realize that process of education. So from that starting point, I then wanted to go on to explore different types of metaphors that we use uh, or that I wanted to come up with to kind of explore some of that, those different potentials, uh, which is what we'll look at in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Metaphors of EdTech. Remember to subscribe if this is your bag. Uh, and also check the episode notes for any useful links and fun things there.